The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. As we constantly move forward, there's a continuing and urgent need for higher education. It's necessary for tomorrow's future and for a dynamically changing workforce. As the need for education is changing, so is education itself. Welcome to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education with your host, Dave Goldberg. In this program, we'll discuss the complex changes that are being made to higher education today, and we'll help you stay ahead of tomorrow. If you're a student, educator, or in the workforce. Now, here's Dave Goldberg. Yeah, good day. Welcome to Big Beacon Radio, Transforming Higher Education. I'm Dave Goldberg. I'm your show host, and Big Beacon is a movement to transform higher education at bigbeacon.org. In every episode, we explore some of the innovators and innovations that are changing the world of higher education all around us, and you can follow live tweeting of the show, ask questions, or make comments about the show during the program on Twitter at hashtag Big Beacon, where Emma Schoenfellner is standing by to... Um, here, listen to your tweets. Our first segment is sponsored by the book that is Transforming Higher Education, A Whole New Engineer, The Coming Revolution in Engineering Education at WholeNewEngineer.org. It's not just for engineers anymore. And actually, uh, uh, I don't know that too many people in the coaching community know that we have an engineer, coach, and, and, uh, and thought leader uh, joining us today from Naples, Florida, Chalmers Brothers. Welcome to the show, Chalmers. Thank you, sir. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's it's great to have you on the show, and uh, this is this is your first time. It's the first time that we've had the chance to talk. So we like on the show we like to get to know our guests. And you're an author, you're a coach, and and um, and you were educated at uh, Worcester Polytechnic, the uh, the home of the plan, uh, which is of uh, interest to many of our listeners. Um, so you're a trained engineer. But let's go back in the time machine. Uh, what were some of the key and inf early influences uh, that put you on your current path? You know, Dave, I have to say my parents instilled in me a, a work ethic uh, and a um, value of perseverance that served me well, I think. And I ended up out of high school going to the U.S. Coast Guard Academy, which is in New London, Connecticut. And I had a fantastic experience there. I got to play small college sports and but when I left the academy after two years and transferred to WPI, um, many listeners may know that the service academies, at, at the time anyway, you really didn't choose a major until you were an academic junior. The first two years are chemistry and chem lab and physics and physics lab and um, calculus and differential equations and this sort of thing. And so by the time I decided to go to a regular university, so to speak, uh, my background was so full of engineering prerequisites that it seemed like um, almost the path of least resistance. And so I found myself in a, in a uh, mechanical engineering curriculum at uh, Worcester Polytech and had a great time. It's a fantastic school. I met some great people, and um, it was a great experience. But I have to say, had I gone to a regular school right out of high school, I'm not entirely sure I would have ended up being an engineer. And looking back, 
I'm sure. very, very grateful that it worked out the way it did. I think it it forced me to develop some competencies that uh, I may not have developed on my own, and I know it opened some doors later on that that wouldn't have been opened with a different background. Well, and then so in that that we share um, the Coast Guard background. Uh, I, I didn't go to the academy, but I was um, I was a machinery technician, what used to be called an engineman back in the seventies uh, when the uh, um, near the end of the draft, I signed up for the Coast Guard Reserves. Actually, two weeks. I signed up, and two weeks later, Nixon ended the draft, which is another story. But um, but uh, my time in the Coast Guard was. Uh, a time where I learned certain competencies that I might not have uh, either, but um, but that that was early. Uh, this is now. You're yep. a coach. You're a thought leader. Uh, you know what? How did you? Um, um, how'd you get from from there to here? Yeah, it's a, it's an obvious big transition. Really, two events, Dave. As I think about it, and one in 1987, my wife and I went to a weekend workshop by a little company in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, called Education for Living. And uh, at the time, I was working for Anderson Consulting, which turned into Accenture. I was yep. in my mid-20s, and I have to say I was fairly arrogant, meaning they, the friends of ours said, look, there's a workshop, you guys. It's, it's really great. You know, y'all will enjoy it and learn a lot. And my thought process was, number one, I don't even know what a workshop is. Number two, I'm pretty sure I don't need it. And number three, <laughs> if I haven't already heard of it, how good can it be? Right? So. Ultimately, we ended up going, and Dave, it changed my life. Really, uh, two things happened to me. One, uh, in the workshop, I going in, I've been married about a year, and my wife was there with me. I thought our relationship was a 9.5 out of 10. Right? We were copacetic intellectually, physically, emotionally, same sense of humor, all that. In the workshop, I realized that it's a 9.5 if 10 is right here above my head. But what if there is no 10? Right. What if I had artificially limited the single most important relationship in my life and had been utterly unaware I was doing that? That was a huge shift. It cost me two hours in the afternoon. Right? I was in my head the whole time. And then next, I learned that I had a huge amount in common with a 73-year-old African-American grandmother. And at that point in my life, I didn't know that. I didn't understand that. And being terminally certain about these two things and having that certainty cracked a little bit, opened a little bit, yeah. had me start thinking, you know, maybe there's, maybe there's a lot of things that I'm really certain about that I don't need to be so certain about. Yeah. And I have to say it, it shifted me. It opened me in a way that I had never experienced before. And it led me to 1995, a year long program called mastering the art of professional coaching by another great organization called the Newfield Network there in Boulder, Colorado. Yep. And I got my, my certification in ontological coaching. And uh, in this context, ontological coaching is coaching people in their way of being. So the implication is there's more than one way to be. And that program in 95, I had left Anderson Consulting by that time, that provided the bridge to the business world that I was looking for. And when I finished that program, I began doing full-time basically what I'm still doing. That is, customized programs for leaders, teams, organizations that are based on the power of language, looking at different types of conversations that constitute leadership and organizational success, looking at relationships, culture, and execution, and building, building my, my business and um, working with my clients 
ever since. But that was the bridge. And then when I finished that program in 95, in January of 96, I was offering new things to my clients and have been working in this area ever since. Beautiful. And it's so interesting. Uh, the New Field Network, of course, uh, uh, goes back to uh, Julio Olaya, and, and there's this yes. whole Chilean mafia that's kind of the intellectual <laughs> bedrock behind um, um, modern yes. coaching. Was uh, was he involved uh, in, in the school at the time that you went? He was. He was the founder, of course, yeah. of New Field Network, and a, yeah. another gentleman named Rafael Echeverria. Yeah. They co-facilitated the program. And as you may know, they're on the shoulders of Fernando Flores, right, who yep. way back um, worked to, I guess, distill some of these, these distinctions, right, about the, about the language acts and the power of language, right, uh, the notion that language is far more than a way of describing things that we are ongoingly creating out of what we speak. And that, you know, that was introduced to me in, again, 1987, uh, by uh, Education for Living, which also has a Fernando Flores connection. The founder of Education for Living was a student of Fernando's back in the 70s, I believe. So uh, it's a very powerful lineage and yeah. um, has been so influential in my life. Well, and people don't realize that uh, Fer Fernando was involved in um, in some of the early Est, the EST stuff back in the 70s, and uh, it Correct. just it, it goes back uh, that far, and it's so interesting how it's uh, grown and morphed and turned into things. And of course, Fernando's still in this country, he's in um, the Berkeley area, and and uh, still still thinking and and influencing people in this special way. I wish I wish he would write more, but he but when he does write it, that makes your head explode. Some of the distinctions that um, um, that he that he makes. Yeah. So, and actually, on this, yeah, I'm go, go ahead, please. No, no, I was going to say, incredibly influential person. I mean, uh, when you look at the impact he's had, and um, it's completely changed, Dave, the way that that I see myself and other people, and and has provided, um, I think, a very empowering way of understanding, a very empowering set of distinctions to allow us to much more purposely, literally design our own lives, whether it's at work or at home. Um, these are, these are non-trivial distinctions, right? They make a material difference in what I'm going to say are our quantitative and qualitative results, right? Both of those quantitative results and qualitative results absolutely at stake based on how we think in this area. Well, and it's such a change too, because we usually, even now when we talk about quote unquote soft skills, and I hate the term soft skills, we right tried to come up with another term. Sometimes on the show, we use the term shift skills. Um, yeah. It sounds like soft, but it's, it's about shift of yourself and of your organizations and of the times, but, but, but they are rigorous and they're, and they're, uh, they're philosophically rigorous. Uh, you know, the speech acts philosophy goes back to John Austin and, and yeah. John yeah. Searle. And so, I mean, this is, this is, this is stuff that's still, studied and and refined today and and um it, and yet we think of we have the sense of well that's everyone knows this stuff what what what's that about i it, it's like it is it i agree, I agree with your assessment and yet it's we have this this uh, miscon i don't know misconception or this sense of this side of things being kind of unimportant or not really all that everyone knows this stuff what's that about i know it, you know you mentioned Searle and Austin and those guys and actually, I think if you go way back, my understanding is we're going all the way back to Heraclitus. 
right? Yes. That in, in some ways, Socrates and Plato, right, their worldview is in the background, of course, of the Western, Western consciousness, Western way of thinking. Yeah. But in, in a lot of ways, what we're talking about here, because we're talking about, you know, the essence of subjectivity and objectivity to some extent, right? How do we know what we know? You yeah. know, this, uh, this biology of cognition, right? And so it's, uh, it's very powerful. Um, and this way of thinking that we're talking about, right, that is the, the framework and understanding for both of my books, I believe in some ways it is an emerging type of common sense, Dave. I think there is a gradual awakening that we are indeed the authors of our own lives, that this thing called language, this, with these internal and external conversations, you know, we are the author, right? These aren't, we're not just reading it, we wrote it. And to the extent that which we're aware of this or not, well, dramatically different possibilities can unfold. And I think the conversation you and I are having now, I believe in 10 years, in 15 years, well, it, it's already made it to the mainstream to some extent if you look at just popular TV programs. And I'm not a huge, um, huge fan of a lot of what's on TV, but a lot of these distinctions and concepts, I yeah. think that maybe 10 or 15 years ago would have only been maybe in a counselor's office are now becoming part of the jargon, part of the normal way that you know, a lot of people just think and see the world. So I think we're I, I, I do believe that it's an emerging type of common sense or an emerging awareness as we become ever more, ever more self-aware. I think, I think awareness expands in one direction and it's more and sometimes just glacial, but I do believe we're moving in that direction. Yeah, beautiful. And, and um, we may have already heard it, but on the show we also like to talk to our guests about um, – what in a whole new engineer, Mark Somerville and I have called unleashing experiences. These are right. where somehow there's, there's been something that you feared doing or um, required courage to do. And someone, and this goes to many points in your book, someone either trusted you or you trusted yourself to do this thing that you didn't know how to do. And it was empowering or in our terms, unleashing. So what, uh, uh, what are some of, and, and maybe we've already heard it, but um, what are some of oh, the sure. other unleashing experiences in your life? You know, it's interesting. I, I was taught this, right? Everything in my books, obviously, I was taught. It's way bigger than me. I'm a, I'm a practitioner, and I think my contribution is that I have packaged it, right? I framed these ways of understanding and these tools and these distinctions. I framed them in a way that it's extremely palatable to a lot of people, very accessible to a yes. lot of people. And I'm, I'm very grateful for that. And what happened, one of the experiences, I, again, starting in 96, I was sharing this work, sharing this work. And I was at a Rotary Club meeting in Tennessee, where we lived at the time. And I was in my 30s, and the speaker didn't show up. And as you may know, Rotary Clubs, Kiwanis Clubs, they typically have a you know, speaker yes. will speak for 15 or 20 minutes. Nobody raised their hand. The president said, could somebody do something? Nobody raised their hand. I finally did. And I did a 20-minute conversation, right, about – I have a little metaphor, the big eye looking at a stick person. It's about self-awareness and the power of language and leadership yep. as conversational competency. And really, yep. two things happened. At that same meeting, one gentleman uh, – I believe his name was John Stevens. He said, after the meeting, you don't know me, but my name is John Stevens. I belong to a CEO roundtable group, and at the time it was called Tech, T-E-C. Now it's called Vistage. 
He said, if you can do a half-day version of what you just did, <laughs> I think not only my group, but there's a lot of business owners, executives would really benefit from that. And so I ended up doing a pro bono half-day session for his group. And David's turned into a 17-year speaking engagement for Vistage groups around the country. And it's a beautiful, wonderful – I mean, the, the organization is a powerful organization, personal and professional growth. But I notice, had I not raised my hand, right, had yeah. I not volunteered, yeah. that would have never happened. At the same meeting, a gentleman named Milt Beaver was with the, the uh, U.S. Social Security Administration – came up and said, you know, I'm intrigued by your message, and we, had, we started a relationship. That turned into two years of two-day leadership workshops for SSA. Yeah. And Dave, the structure of the first book is exactly the structure of my two-day workshop, because that's all I knew. Nice. And as I'm, as I'm looking back, right, one time of saying yes, you know, putting myself out there and until lately, I really didn't think of how instrumental that meeting was, but it was gigantically instrumental. So one of the things I offer to my kids is, look, guys, if you have a chance, say yes. Say yes. Put yourself out there. Put yourself in a position where people get to experience who you are and what you have to offer. And I guess one of the other ones, you know, as I'm doing workshops, this is in the late 90s, people started saying, where can I get a book about this stuff? Right? Yeah. Where can I get yeah. a book? And I kept saying, well, there, there is no book, right? I learned this through Education for Living and Newfield Network and a series of programs. And then they started saying, well, why don't you write the book? And Dave, I promise you, my internal conversation at that point was, number one, I'm not smart enough to write a book. And number two, I shouldn't write the book. The people who taught me should write the book, right? I'm a, yep. I'm a practitioner. And it yep. hit me. The cobbler has no shoes, right? Here I am in the business of helping people move past unpowerful beliefs and I apparently am the only person in the room who thinks I can't write this book. And it was just like, it was a Buddha moment, right? I laughed in the mirror. <laughs> and at the same time, I think it was within that same week, I was crossing a room. There was a rap song on TV, and I didn't like the song. I didn't like the image. I didn't like the vibe. I didn't like it. I was immediately going to turn it off. And just as I'm reaching to turn it off, this thought crosses my mind. I'm going to turn you off. But you're saying what you want to say. Why, why don't I get to do that? Right? Why do you get to say what you want to say and I don't somehow? And it was an interesting, I don't know, Dave, you know, juxtaposition of, of indignation on my part and this sudden awareness that I'm the only one holding me back. Other people seem to think I can write this. This guy on TV is saying what he wants to say. When do I get to do that? And I started typing that night. I don't remember what day it was. Mm. I started typing on my first book the night after, or the same night I turned off the guy on TV. Beautiful. Wow, beautiful. And, and it's interesting um, sometimes how it, um, these moments can, they're not always like this, but they can be this um, floodgate opening or breaking and, and something coming out that was there that, You'd been resisting, and and it can be sudden like that. And in the as in, as as you just described it, you can you can point to the the time and place. Why don't we take a little bit of a take a little bit of a break? I, we've got a lot more to talk about, but uh, I want to um, um, in the next segment. Why don't we jump into talking a little bit more about uh, your two books and and what they're about and 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 um, 
you've already described a little bit about why you why you wrote the first one. Why don't we uh, Why don't we do that? That sounds great, Dave. Thanks. All right. So this is Big Beacon Radio with our special guest Chalmers Brothers. Stay Stay with us in the next segment. We're gonna We're gonna talk about um, language in the pursuit of happiness and language in the pursuit of leadership excellence. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of 3Joy Associates help. David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645. Contact him at deg at 3joy.com or browse the 3Joy website, www.3joy.com today. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. 5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show. And welcome back to Big Beacon Radio. Uh, the second segment is sponsored by 3Joy Associates at 3Joy.com. Get the training, coaching, and change leadership consultation to help transform your educational institution. And... Um, you, or you can write to me, Dave Goldberg, at deg at 3joy.com. And uh, if you wish to uh, ask questions or make comments about the show, go to go to Twitter and use the hashtag Big Beacon. So we're back with uh, Chalmers uh, Brothers, and and we're talking about we're 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 going to start talking about his uh, two books. The first book, which uh, we talked about in the last segment, was uh, Language in the Pursuit of Happiness. Uh, came out in uh, the date I have is 2005. Is that right? That's correct. Yep. Yeah, it came out in 2005, and a more recent book, Language in the uh, Pursuit of Leadership Excellence. So that first book was an encapsulation of your your workshops that you started at the uh, Social Security Administration, and, and um, uh, this uh, second book came out in 2015, and you wrote it with uh, Vinay Kumar. Is, did I pronounce his name yep, right? That's correct. Yep, absolutely. Yep, and, and, and um, what, uh, what uh, motivated the second book? Well, it's interesting. In about 2012, I got an email out of the blue, and it was, hello, my name is Vinay Kumar, and I was introduced to your first book, Language in the Pursuit of Happiness, while at Georgetown Leadership Coaching Program, which I'm, I'm thrilled. Dave, they've been using that book in their, their coach training for many years, and he said, I want to talk with you about it. And my, that initial email from Vinay has led to a wonderful friendship, and he's a fantastic person, and ultimately uh, ended up um, with me doing a eight-month program at an IT firm uh, up in uh, Northern Virginia, which led to another eight-month program with a different 
technology firm, and were applying these distinctions and principles over time, and Vinay was instrumental in helping me think in some ways bigger and broader, uh, Dave, than I had before in terms of a multi-month program instead of a standalone workshop. And it, our, our friendship has continued, and as we're in conversation, in relationship, uh, he suggested a book that's more focused explicitly on leadership development. If you look at the first book, it was taught to me, all these distinctions and tools were really taught in a personal context, but I was applying them, obviously, yes. in a leadership development teamwork um, environment. The second book is explicitly a book for leaders. It's explicitly about shaping culture, building relationships, and driving execution. And as we were thinking through it, one of the things that's apparent, even though the first book has been adopted, and I, I'm, I'm thrilled by leadership uh, organizations, uh, leadership training within many organizations, there is still, I believe, a lot of people that will not pick up a book if it has the word happiness in the title, right? They're, they're <laughs> not interested in happiness. They're interested in bottom line results, right? And so as we, um, as we began thinking about the, the structure of the new book, which is a little bit different, uh, in fact, a lot different than, than the initial book, is uh, wanting to be more explicit about the audience. This is explicitly a book for leaders who are interested in growing their organizations, interested in developing themselves, uh, their own leadership capabilities, developing their own people. But when we, we, we really look at the big three in terms of results that leaders, I'm going to say in any way, shape, or form, any organization are interested in producing relationships, culture, and execution. And that's what the new book is about. It's about relationships, culture, and execution. Yeah, nice. And and I can see the, uh, you know, the enlargement. So, I mean, the, the foundational work, you know, the foundational speech yep. acts and noticing and listening and questioning the OAR model is still there, but it's... Yep gone further and and that actually this is I was who I was talking um, uh, conversation oh I guess with the it was a conversation with uh, Barry Johnson about the difficulty and you give these workshops and and you address this in in your book and but it's it can be wonderful you have this wonderful experience you make it experiential um, but at the end of the day especially in short engagements uh, Oftentimes it ends up being executive entertainment. You know, so right, how do you right. how do you move how do you move it into how do you move it into practice and and um, get people to actually connect it with things that are important to them and and then take it and take it into practice? Comment. You know what we talk about: learning about is not the same as learning to do. Yeah, right? they're just they're just not the same thing. And learning about is not the same as learning to do. It's not the same as learning to be. Right, and so all three of these are are key. And I know, you know, many people in academia we do a lot of learning about, but most of us have had the experience that it's a it's a profoundly different program. It's a profoundly different type of course if we can actually learn to do and learn to be. And one of the things that when we look at learning, learning equals time and practice. Right, learning equals time and practice, and so. Certain short workshops, I like the term executive entertainment, I hadn't heard that, but short workshops just don't give us enough time to practice, to actually embody, right, to, to try out the new distinctions and the new skills and, and the new tools. And interestingly as well, a lot of the, the types of learning that we're interested in, learning to shape culture, right, learning to rebuild relationships, learning to create and maintain healthy levels of trust, 
learning to, to create a space for healthy, respectful disagreement, right? A space yeah. of carefrontation. Yeah. This type of learning is not the same as learning math and learning engineering. This type of learning does not have to do with memorizing and categorizing, you know, terms and definitions and, and then mentally, you know, cataloging them so I can bring them forth later on in response to a question. This type of learning requires choice, some degree of awareness, some capacity to have feedback conversations where I get to experience from other people the effect of my actions or lack thereof, right? And then trying it again. And, you know, there's a literal embodiment, not figuratively, right? I mean, I have to try these out physically. I have to try new conversations. I have to expose myself to, to feedback to find out about my public identity, right? About the possibility of creating um, unintentionally negative consequences, right? The whole notion of intention is not the same as impact, right? Mm-hmm. And living with this awareness and, and, and sometimes understanding that I created an, an impact as a leader that I was not intending to. Learning how to dance with this is simply not the same as learning in a lot of the STEM, you know, science, technology, engineering, math. It, it's just a different type of learning. We can learn to listen more deeply. We can learn to build trust. We can learn. These are competencies. I like to say these are conversational, relational, and emotional competencies, right? They can be learned, but it's not the same type of learning. Yeah, and I, I, I'm, I'm listening and I'm connecting this back to um, the need for the second book where you know, the, where certain people will not in business, will not read a book that has happiness, the word happiness, the title. And it seems to me that what you were just talking about, one of the essential ingredients in addressing the many things that you, you know, just uh, listed, um, is a, is a vulnerability to uh, an openness. And, um, and maybe that's part of what's different about this subject matter, and uh, that if you can't stand the word term happiness, you you may have some trouble. Well, you may have trouble with the big E. You might have trouble with the word emotion too. Like emotion, yeah. that's for for you know, and, and men especially um, uh, might have this problem because there's uh, well, big boys don't cry. Of course. Um, that's correct. And, 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 and other stories or beliefs that, that, that we just carry around sort of reflexively. You're right. And, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned OIR model, and the second book starts with the observer action results model as chapter one, as the door opener. And this model, yeah. uh, you may know, right, comes from Robert Putnam and Chris Argerus from Harvard Business School way back in the day. And this model has been and and remains for me my favorite model. It's a profoundly simple but but powerful way of understanding how we individually and collectively actually produce results, right? Quantitative and qualitative results. And the more I do this work with leaders around the country, Dave, I mention explicitly how many people in this room are in the business right now of producing quantitative and qualitative results with and through other people. Every hand goes up. With me, every hand goes up. Uh, profitability is a result. Productivity is a result. But your corporate culture is a result, right? Your public identity, how you get perceived is a result. The nature of your most important relationships, these are results. And the observer action results model, this notion that, of course, we produce results out of the actions we do or don't take. But now we know 
that leaders get paid to have effective conversations. So many of the most important actions that leaders take are not, are not physical actions. They are conversations, right? This whole notion of conversational competency, we can be strong leaders without the ability to lift 100 pounds over our heads. We can be a powerful leader from a wheelchair, right? But this notion in the observer action results model, it makes it explicit that the conversations you have and how you have them are going to bring about a wide range of quantitative and qualitative results. The beauty of the model for me is this. Sometimes we produce positive results, means results that we wanted, in which case we take that action again, right? We are confirmed and affirmed in the action we took, which is the conversation we had. We're going to do it again. Life is good. But if we don't produce the result we want, we have two options. Number one, I can take another action, have another conversation, and try it again. We know right, the definition of an insane person or a crazy person, somebody who does the same thing over and over, expecting the results to be different. This model takes that certainly into account. But the power is this, observer action results. If we don't like the results we're producing, we can take a look at the observer that we are. We can take a look at how we look at things. We can bring our moods into the equation. We can bring our biases into the equation. We can take a look at our beliefs, not through the right-wrong lens, but through the powerful, unpowerful lens, or through the works-doesn't-work lens, meaning are the beliefs I'm currently holding that I have produced about myself, my company, this employee, this customer, it doesn't matter, Fords, Chevys, right, whatever, are these beliefs allowing me to achieve the results I say I want. And it's this, what they call second order learning, right? Bringing the observer that we are into view as one of the variables that we get to explore should we decide to produce a new result. And Dave, when I was introduced to that, it shifted me. It was like, you know, this is the most most powerful way of understanding. And we are ongoingly, obviously, in the business of producing desired results for ourselves as individuals and as organizations. And the premium, I think you mentioned it earlier, one of your other guests, I was listening, about self-awareness, right? Self-awareness is the necessary starting point. You cannot change what you do not see. Now, you may notice and choose not to change. Fantastic. Now you got your eyes open, right? But if we don't notice, we don't get to be, we don't get to make purposeful choices. And it's this it's this self-awareness capacity increasing, becoming more powerful and more competent observers of ourselves that is the necessary starting point, I believe, for any purposeful, meaningful change. Yes, and actually, I was thinking of this before when you were talking in the past segment, but then it came back again. I was thinking about these beliefs and, and whether they're serving us or not, and I remember an early client in my coaching career. And I said, you know, she was describing, I said, I, I heard this and I heard that. And, and I said, and I label, I said, I labeled it. I said, this is, this is a very interesting story that you've told. And she got angry at me. She said, Dave, that's not my, that's not a story. That's the truth. Right. <laughs> and, and I think, uh, I, but I, until we're in, until we're in observing the observer, until we're uh, noticing um, things, right. we're not actually aware that, that, there are both assertions and assessments in that that story, and some some things are factual, and a bunch of other things are 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 judgments or are interpretations of events. 
Absolutely. And it's this awareness, right? There's a classic fundamental distinction that if, if a person, if I am interested in increasing my degree of self-awareness over the course of my life, it is crucial that I possess this distinction. Event is not equal to explanation. Mm. Event is not equal to explanation. There are fun- Yes, you and I and everybody else, we are confronted with events all the time, right? Events at work, events with our families, events Christmas shopping, events yep. with our kids, events on the highway. And I believe this. What we do as human beings is, number one, we make up a story about this event. Number yep. two, we hold this story to be the truth. And number three, we forget that we made it up. <laughs> we forget that we made it up. And it's this awareness that we are each the author. And again, when we use the word story, we're not talking about fib or fabrication, right? It's not a purposeful manipulation, and it's certainly not a self-deception. It's simply an interpretation, right? It's an explanation. And taking a look at our stories instead of living through it is a fundamentally different thing. In a workshop, Julio Elias said something, and I never forgot. He said, are you telling your stories or are your stories telling you? Mm. Right. And it's a it's a powerful question, because those stories, if you think about observer action results, those stories are a function of the observer, obviously. And they color the actions we do or don't take and how we do or don't take them, which, of course, drives results that we do or don't get quantitative and qualitative results. But taking a look at the stories. Right. We have this we have this expression that we live in language like a fish lives in water. Right? A fish lives in water, water everywhere, water everywhere. When would a fish first know that it's born in water and lives in water? When would he first know that? When you take him out. Right? And we are born in language. We live in language, language all around, language everywhere. Both of these books, Dave, are my attempt at supporting people and taking a look at what they're up to in language, taking a look at it instead of living through it. Does that make sense? No, it, it uh, yes, it does. And, and, uh, and, and again, it's one of these, um, these strange things because again, we all, we all think of our, you know, we're all, we all think of ourselves as expert in language. We're using it all the time. And, and, and then, but when, it, when you work in work with uh, coaching clients or you're in a workshop and you start to probe, well, what is language exactly? And and uh, people have a really hard time. They, I mean, they have fairly conventional views about it, and they can they right. it's a set of symbols. It's this, but in terms of actually, then, well, trying to describe how it works or how to make it work for you better is is uh, it's not an easy thing. We 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 actually don't have very good. And I think that's one of the the things that's so interesting about the distinctions in in your book and in, in coaching in general is that it actually helps give us a set of distinctions so that we can think. Um, more thoughtfully and, and more carefully about language. Kind of. I think you're right. In fact, as you were saying that, I was thinking, you know, there's a whole field out there called linguistics. This is not that, right? Yes. Noam Chomsky, right? Universal grammar. I mean, this is, these distinctions are not about that. These distinctions are also not about the structure of language, right? You know, grammar, pronouns, all of that. This is about the action of language, right? This is about a new way of understanding language itself, and primarily it's a, it's a way of understanding and getting our arms around the generative capacity of language, 
right? We're not saying that we don't describe with language. Of course we describe with language. Of course we communicate with language. But sure. that is not all. That is not all that we do. And for leaders and those of us who get paid to have effective conversations, learning something about this not all that we do side of language can be really, really helpful and very beneficial. And as I think about, you know, my books and this body of learning, I now believe this. I believe that this is one level underneath fierce conversations, one level underneath crucial conversations, one level underneath, to some extent, seven habits, because we're not talking about certain types of conversations to achieve certain results. That's part of it. But what we're really talking about as well is offering another way of understanding what language itself is. We're pointing explicitly to the notion that we create out of what we speak, that language creates and generates. It doesn't simply describe. We create relationships, right? We create public identity. We create this whole thing called corporate culture, not with shovels and fertilizer, but out of the conversations we require, the conversations we prohibit, right? The whole notion of missing conversations. We create context, not physical, but utterly, utterly real, right? And we we create, and it's this this creation of non-physical but very real results and impact that separates, I believe, this body of work and these distinctions from a lot of other very helpful, very useful, very practical frameworks. But my thought is this, once you have this way of understanding language, all those other frameworks can be used more effectively because we're I couldn't level ag- under, Yeah, under I couldn't agree. Level. I couldn't agree more. I, you know, uh, sometimes the, the show will use the term, these are core shift skills. And we think of many of the, th- if, so if you want to talk about crucial conversations or the wheel of complete communication, or you want to talk, let's, uh, we'll go, let's go to Harvard uh, negotiation school and talk about some right. distinctions right. in negotiation, or let's talk about, um, well, let's go to your favorite, uh, your usual favorite leadership workshop and the distinctions right. that are made there, whatever. Those are, those are derivative. And, and to the extent that those workshops do a good job capturing key elements of the core skills, yep. that they do, they can do a good job with the higher level ones. But if they don't, if they, you know, so for example, if you go to go to Harvard's negotiation school and uh, make distinctions in in interests, uh, negotiating from interest versus position, that's a great distinction. Yep. But yep. but uh, you want to be a powerful negotiator, you better you better be a a level two listener and you better notice That's what's right. going on. You better, you better be managing your emotions and understanding what's going on at the table with you, uh, with your, um, your negotiating team and your negotiating partners, um, emotionally and in body and, and in language. And, and, uh, and if you've got that almost automatically, you're better at using the higher level distinctions that are being made in those workshops. No doubt about it. And in fact, when you think about it, Dave, observer, action, results, right? These three boxes going left to right, observer, action, results. In our culture today, we have been brought up with, by virtue of being exposed to advertising and marketing since we were really little on TV, books, print, radio, all that, we've been exposed to a particular way of understanding the relationship between having, doing, and being, And basically, we know it goes like this. If you have this product, whatever it is, it will allow you to do things like X, Y, and Z, and then you can be happy, fulfilled, satisfied, 
successful. If you have this other product or service, it'll allow you to do things like X, Y, or Z. And then in the end, you can be, again, happy, fulfilled, satisfied, all that. What we're talking about here, when we think about observer action results, we're reversing this causality, having to do first with your way of being, then of doing whatever you do from this different way of being, allowing you to produce all the results you produce from these new actions that were taken in this new way of being. And what this body of work allows us to do is work on our being, not just the doing. The other ones I think are very good and very helpful and are very outstanding for practical frameworks for doing. But it's not until you get at the level of language itself and taking a look at the internal conversations we live in, taking a look at the, you know, the inner game rules the outer game, right? Taking a look at at the way we do this moods, body, language, that congruency that is the observer that we are, the unique observer that we are, um, until we're focusing on our way of being, well, let me just say this, that this work has a great deal to do with helping people be more conscious about their way of being and design a way of being at work, at home, that allows them to optimize what's possible. Yeah. Nice. Hey, why don't we take uh, take one more break and... Um... And I, I'm thinking maybe we need to head in the direction we sort of opened the door on language as action, but we sort of didn't say much about it. What if we, um, in the last uh, segment, uh, uh, tiptoed sure. through speech, speech acts a little bit? That sounds fantastic, Dave. Thanks. Great. This is Big Beacon Radio with our special guest, uh, Chalmers Brothers. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, speech acts and maybe a little bit about uh, trying to apply this in education in the third and final segment. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Do you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of 3Joy Associates help. David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645. Contact him at deg at 3joy.com or browse the 3Joy website, www.3joy.com today. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call 1 866 472 5790. Again, that's 1 866 472 5790. Or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome to, back to Big Beacon Radio. And our final segment is sponsored by Big Beacon's upcoming uh, webinar. Join us on Wednesday, uh, January 18th. 
um, 4 p.m. Eastern for four keys to ineffective educational change. Learn the four mistakes that people make in modern change initiatives and how to overcome them. And learn how to join uh, Big Beacon's three communities of innovators. So go to bigbeacon.org to sign up or write to me at deg at bigbeacon.org. And so we're, we're back with uh, Chalmers Brothers, uh, author of um, Language in the Pursuit of Happiness and co-author of uh, Language and the Pursuit of Leadership Excellence. And uh, we've been kind of we've been talking about language. We've been talking about language as action, and and a lot of this um, touches on on this uh, theoretical framework that leads to thinking differently about about language and speech uh, speech act. So, and your books uh, rely heavily on this. So, what's the what's the role of speech acts thinking in in your 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 training and and coaching? Well, sure. Well, in a nutshell, if we claim, as we do, that language creates, that language is action, then what are exactly the actions we take when we speak? And so developed, uh, I, I guess, I, I know back to Searle and Austin, ultimately Fernando Flores, the version that, that we're using, the claim is this. Every single conversation you ever had and ever will have, you are doing one or more of these six things. You're making assertions, assessments, declarations, requests, offers, or promises, right? One of these six or more all the time. And learning something about the positive and negative qualitative and quantitative results that we produce out of how we wield these tools is very helpful and is what a lot of the book is about and a lot of my workshops are about. So let's talk about these. Most of us have an intuitive understanding of facts and opinions. Assertions and assessments are very close to facts and opinions. And the notion is pay attention and keep them separate. Keep them separate. How many of us know people who do not know the difference or don't act like they know the difference between facts and opinions? It's a very, very difficult person to have on a team. It's a very difficult person to have in a relationship. So what we experience is this. Some people that do not have these distinctions inadvertently produce for themselves a public identity of jerk, right? Or stubborn as they can be. And they don't know, right, how they're coming across. They just live with this certainty. This is a fundamental distinction. Assertions can be true or false and are where language is least generative. It's 75 degrees outside. The room is 12 feet by 10 feet. Assertions can always be proven or disproven by an objective third party. Assessments, it's a beautiful day. The room is spacious. The room is cramped are always subjective opinions and can never be proven or disproven in a way that assertions can. They have everything to do, and this is key, Dave, assertions belong to the thing being observed. The room is 27 by 36. Assessments belong to the observer. I say the room is spacious. You say it's cramped. With our assessments, our judgments, our opinions, we reveal ourselves much more than we describe anything external to us. What we reveal are our standards, right? We reveal our background. We reveal our moods and emotions. Yep. So this distinction, while intuitively we already have it, right? I mean, this is taught in elementary school, right? Facts and opinions. By delving a little bit deeper into this and noticing the extent to which in many business and personal situations, we do not operate with clarity around here. We do not operate with clarity and we do not keep them separate 
as we're talking to each other, as we're talking to ourselves. Many of us have beliefs about ourselves, assessments, that we do not see as assessments. We see them as attributes of reality. And, of course, the first step in creating something different is to acknowledge ownership as the author to begin with. So a lot of coaching, when we're working with people, helping them move past whether it's a self-worth or a self um, dignity conversations about how they hold themselves, not physically, of course, doesn't have to do with their hands. It means the conversations they're living in. A lot of it has to do with helping them see that these are assessments they've made up about who they are. They're not assertions. They're not the truth with a capital T. And so they, they can be changed. Declarations, most powerful speech acts. Our country was declared into being, right? Every organization was declared into being. We hereby shareholders hereby do declare August 1st, the company doesn't exist. August 2nd, it does. Articles of incorporation. Every decision is a declaration. Every yes, every no. Thank you is a powerful declaration. You mentioned I don't know. I don't know is a powerful declaration. What do we create? We create an openness or a context for learning. Not physical, but very, very real. Organizationally, the mission statement is declared into being. The vision is a declaration. The goals are declarations, right? The standards are declarations made by people with authority to do so. And when you think about an organization, I have this three-tiered model. I got a ho- I got a roof, a middle, and a foundation. The roof of the house is the vision, right? The goals. Where are we going? The foundation of the house is our identity, our purpose, our values. Who are we? And leaders' jobs in number one to make these declarations, right? People with authority declare the organizational come from and the organizational go to. Make those declarations. And number two, go about the business of building shared understanding and shared commitment to these throughout the organization. Declarations are like rudders, rudder of a boat. Over here, you say one thing, you go in here, and up, new priority going over here. Everything to do with authority. And so in organizations, a key distinction, who has the authority to declare what? If there are areas of fuzziness inside your organization about who gets to declare what, get ready for recurring breakdowns. Recurring break- These are profoundly missing conversations in many organizations, conversations about standards and about where the boundaries of who gets to declare what, where those boundaries are. And finally, requests, offers, and promises. These are the actions for collaborative action. Every organization, Dave, can be understood as a network of nested commitments, human beings making and managing promises with each other. And I use the word promises, commitments, and agreements interchangeably. But every single organization, no matter how big or small, simpler or complex, can always be understood as human beings making and managing promises with each other. And the front end of a promise is a request or an offer. You make an offer, you make a request, somebody says yes, you have an agreement. And in our personal lives, we make requests all the time, right? Sure. It's, the, it's the way we accomplish anything collaboratively. And so these speech acts, and, and if you look at our little house model, again, the roof of the house are declarations. It's the vision and the goals. The foundation of the house are declarations. It's purpose, the values, yep. the standards, the mission. The middle of the house are human beings 
making requests, offers, and promises with each other. Now, you can do this well or you can do it poorly. But if you are an organization, you're doing it right now. And so a great deal of both books and as well as my workshops have to do with introducing these distinctions in an organizational context for the purpose of helping leaders and teams be more conscious about creating the culture that yep. they want, which is, right, how far down inside the organization is the organizational come from and the organizational go to? How far down inside the organization do people understand this and are aware of what yep. these are? Yeah, and on the execution side, right? Yep. How well and are chomp. we navigating this web? Yeah. And so I... This, I mean, this is great, and I wish we had more time to delve into it um, in more detail. But I think the the framework that you just laid out will help our help our listeners uh, see the some of the power of this. I, I want to give you the last word. We've just we've got about thirty seconds left, and um, oh, sure. if if people want to find out more about your writing, your uh, workshops, and and uh, your coaching, how can how can they do that? Sure. Please check out my TED Talk. If you Google Chalmers Brothers TED, it'll pop up. It's about 14 minutes, and it'll be a version of this that you can explore. Also, go to ChalmersBrothers.net. Once again, ChalmersBrothers.net, and you can find out more information. There's, I'm doing a leadership retreat in Northern Virginia in April. Please check out SOAR Leadership Retreat, S-O-A-R, SOARLeadershipRetreat.com. And everybody, my mission is to shift the consciousness of one million people. So if you're interested in this body of work and ways you can apply it in your life, please check out my books. Please check out this information. Um, Dave, thank you for having me. It's been a real pleasure, and, and I wish you and your listeners only continued success. Thanks so much for being with us, Chalmers. It's truly my pleasure, Dave. Thanks for the invitation. You've been listening to Big Beacon Radio, Transforming Higher Education. Special thanks to our guest, Chalmers Brothers. Help transform higher education. Join the movement to unleash a new generation of innovators by learning more at bigbeacon.org. Join us next week, same time, same channel, in our quest to transform higher education. Thank you for tuning in to Big Beacon Radio, Transforming Higher Education. Please join Dave Goldberg soon for another edition. Listen every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. For additional information about our programs or to find out about the next show, please visit bigbeacon.org. We'll talk again very soon.